Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word as we come to study it right now, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you can reveal to our hearts, Lord, what it means for us, Lord. We thank you that your message is still alive and well through your spirit, and Lord, that it can cut to our hearts, Lord, and, and reveal things that, that we have not seen before as we open ourselves to your work. And we ask you to do this today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, we have the account of an angel of the Lord opening the tomb of Jesus and announcing to the women who came to Jesus' tomb to embalm him that Jesus was not there, that he was risen. And the women were told by the angel to go and tell Jesus' disciples, specifically Peter, that Jesus was going before them into Galilee. He said, there you will see him. Afterward, and perhaps because they were so stricken by fear receiving that message from the angel, the women didn't tell anyone. So Jesus himself met them and he told them, rejoice, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That's from Matthew 28, 6 to 10. And we read on in Matthew 28 and see that the 11 disciples did go to Galilee. They went away to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And it was there at that site that Jesus gave his great commission to them when he sent them out into all the world to make disciples of all nations. In John's Gospel, we have the unique account that we read today of Jesus meeting his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias in Galilee. But it's hard to know just where to fit John 21 into any post-resurrection timeline because Luke doesn't record anything about Jesus and his disciples in Galilee after Jesus' resurrection. And reading from Luke's books of Luke and Acts alone, the disciples seem to have waited in Jerusalem all those days after seeing Jesus alive, after his resurrection in Jerusalem. And from there, it's off to the races as far as the church goes it's uh, as far as church expansion goes in acts so this passage in john presents a complex perspective what i find by this story not fitting into the synoptic gospel context is that it actually fits into ours quite well and i like to reflect on it because it must be set somewhere after the resurrection, but before Pentecost. And even though Pentecost came with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church, resulting in the rapid church expansion that we saw in the book of Acts, that power and that growth 
has seemed to cease in our context. If we are honest, Acts is not the reality that we experience in Christ's church today, especially in the West. In our context, even though Pentecost has come, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his church, we still seem to be like those lost disciples before that event happened. And as such, perhaps we can learn something from this passage. So let's read again, John 21, 1 and on. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now we might put it in context, after what things? Well, the last things recorded in John before this were first Jesus' sudden appearance to his disciples uh, without Thomas, and then his sudden appearance to his disciples a second time with Thomas, both after his resurrection, of course. It goes on. And in this way, speaking of the, the context of our passage today, in this way, he showed himself. And here the story begins. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. So at least five of Jesus's original 12 disciples are mentioned as being present there. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and two additional ones. Who knows, maybe Joseph and Matthias uh, from Acts 1. We don't know for sure, of course. We don't know who those other two that weren't named were. But they were with him from the beginning, as Acts tells us. Strangely, six are missing, and that's not counting Judas Iscariot, of course, the foretold casualty of all this, and betrayer of Jesus. And we have no idea where the other four to six are. The four to six that are missing are not mentioned here. And these who are in Galilee seem quite lost without Jesus. And the whole story relates not only to the context, the context of the Gospel of John with Jesus reinstating Peter after his denial of him, which is also recorded in Luke, but it can also be related to the Gospel of Luke's context because it begins by centering around these disciples' original vocation and their calling from Jesus and their hesitancy to continue following that calling after failing Jesus or without Jesus by their side or without realizing his power yet. The majority here, at least three of the five guys, were professional fishermen and big-time fishermen at that. They had been partners in business. They and their families may have even had monopolized the fishing industry in Galilee altogether. But then Jesus came along and these fishermen gave up all of that to follow him. Or had they? They still had their boats, didn't they? 
Well, Simon Peter, in verse 3, the leader uh, in the absence of Jesus, said to the others, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. And they weren't going out in a little dinghy with a rod and a, a reel for pleasure. No way. There were five of them, first of all, and they went out all night when the fishing was good. And they were working all night. They weren't sleeping. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, Scripture says, they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus was watching them. Just as he was watching them when they were rowing in a storm back in John chapter 6. Remember that? He sent them across the lake and they got caught in that storm and he came along walking and, and rescued them. And if you're a disciple of Jesus today, you can be sure that Jesus is also watching you. If you are his, and that's what a disciple is, then of course he is. Verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? He didn't ask them, Have you any fish? That might have been the normal question from a person standing on the shore looking, looking to buy some fish. But he said to them, Have you any food? And they answered him, No. They didn't even have enough food to feed themselves. So what's going on that made for this occasion? These are commercial fishermen catching no fish, not one, all night long. Was Jesus orchestrating their circumstances somehow, perhaps? You know, he does that when he wants. He does that to get our attention, especially when we begin to rely on ourselves more than relying on him. And he also does that to get us to obey sometimes when we are not listening to him or, or not following his will, his instructions. And I said, as I said earlier, this must have been before Pentecost. So we might ask ourselves, what, what were they doing here still in Galilee? Were they being obedient? Should they not have been waiting in Jerusalem already as Jesus had told them in Luke? But of course, Jerusalem was a scary place. And there they could not be as self-sufficient as they could be here in Galilee, their home. I know I'm speculating a bit, but Jerusalem may have been where, where the other disciples already were. Well, in verse 6, Jesus speaks again and reveals his identity. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. 
Well, does that sound familiar? Remember when the disciples met Jesus back in, in Luke? Do you remember that story? Let's read a little from that occasion. Luke 5, beginning at verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to push out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. That was then. And now three years later, back in Galilee, here they were, fishing again. And Jesus came to them and reminded them of their calling. That's why he came, to remind them and to reinstate Peter. Not because Jesus had rejected Peter somewhere along the line, but because Peter had once again, just like the first time, judged himself unworthy of Jesus. Verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So now we're back again three years later. The other disciple that Jesus loves, probably, as we know, uh, referring to John, referring to himself, the author of this gospel, saying, telling Peter, it's the Lord. Basically saying, it's the Lord and he's come after us. It's the Lord and he cares enough to come after us. He's not saying, it's the Lord and he's and he's caught us red-handed. No, no. There's something in that it's the Lord that is, is a wonderful thing. And when Simon Peter 
heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer gar garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. So no doubt, since that resurrection day, when they first saw Jesus alive, until now, no doubt, Peter had longed to be alone with Jesus again after he had failed him so miserably, betraying him, um, abandoning him before his trial. This was his opportunity. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. So the little boat makes it seem like they had a few of them, does it? doesn't it? Verse 9, now as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. So Jesus didn't really need their food. He just needed to get their attention. And Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So he allows them to, to contribute uh, to breakfast. Uh, I mean, they weren't really doing it. He provided everything, of course, told them where to cast their nets. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. In other words, a real miracle if you didn't catch that the first time. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. So Jesus had met them where they were at, and he gently and deliberately called them all back into intimate fellowship with him. Away from the clamor of ministry, away from Jerusalem, away from everything else. And there he invited them to come and eat breakfast. He broke bread with them there. And he continued his work on their hearts, these beloved disciples that he had worked with for three years. Afterward, he took Simon Peter for a walk with him, away from the others. We pick that up in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Well, remember Peter's confidence back in John 13, when, the, when Jesus had told all the disciples what was ahead of them, and Peter had said to, to Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you, you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And of course, Jesus was right. Peter didn't have what it took to follow Jesus then. Remember also Peter's bragging, his, his bragging defiance in Matthew 26, 33, when Jesus had told them that they would all fall away. Peter had said, 
Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Well now, after he did fall away, when Jesus came and met them and took him for this walk and asked them if he loves him more than these, more than them, he simply replied to Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The they all, the though they all, or the more than these, is, is missing from, from Peter's vocabulary. And now, that is. And Jesus simply says to him, Feed my lambs. But Jesus is not done with Peter. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And do notice that Jesus is calling him Simon, not Cephas or Peter, the name that he said he would be called in the future, meaning rock. And that, that came back when he originally uh, called Peter. And later on, he, Jesus also said, that to Peter after he professed um, Jesus Christ as the son of the living God. And again, Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep this time. Tend my sheep. And still, Jesus is not done with Peter. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And scripture says, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Peter had reached the point of realizing that Jesus knew everything about him. And he, he didn't have to prove anything to Jesus anymore. He didn't have to prove himself to Jesus or anyone else for that matter. He simply had to be who he was and to depend on Jesus for everything good in him. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then Jesus went on and told him a bit about his future again, like he had back in chapter 13. In verse 18, he said, verse 18, he said, Assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. John says, this he spoke signifying what death he would glorify God. So what, what, what Jesus was saying to Peter was, you're gonna die for me, Peter. That's how it is. Get used to that reality. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, 
follow me. Follow me to death. And the submissive death, not the kind of death that Peter had wanted, not a hero's death, fighting uh, and protecting Jesus, but a martyr's death, the kind that he had previously failed at. And Jesus was granting him a new opportunity, a new way of, of doing this, not in Peter's own strength, but in Jesus's. Peter was being asked to give up his right to govern himself, his right of himself to Jesus, his right to himself to Jesus. And Jesus had Peter's destiny already worked out, and he basically told him so. It was not just, it was just a matter of Peter's submitting to it. You know, Jesus doesn't have that same plan marked out for all of us. Peter was the one who Jesus chose to carry on uh, his ministry in, in a most profound way, as it was Peter who later on at Pentecost and afterwards stood up in the face of, of those same people who had crucified Jesus. And, and he kept standing up for Jesus until his death years later. But Jesus does have a plan for each of us, too, if we're his disciples. And, and it may be glorious, but more likely, it will not be in most people's eyes. And that doesn't matter. It's, it's Jesus' eyes that matter. Verse 20, Then Peter, turned, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So Peter didn't brag now. There was nothing to brag about. He understood what Jesus was saying, and he understood that it was not up to him, but, but up to Jesus, who fixed his destiny. And he accepted it somewhat perhaps uh, and perhaps was just looking for for a little company to to walk this lonely path ahead with and that is so easy for all of us to do look look at someone else it's it's in all of us not not only in our kids but we see it often in our kids always asking about the other one what about her? What about him? And we respond how Jesus responded to Jesus. I'm not dealing with them. I'm dealing with you. But we always want to know. We want to know and we want to know why. We want to know what and we want to know why. But Jesus doesn't always tell us why. And he often doesn't tell us what. He tells us that he knows and that he's okay with it. And if he's okay with it, he wants us to be okay with it too. Because after all, it's his plan and his purpose and his plan and purpose. His plan and purposes are always 
good, even if it's death, like for Peter. You know, what do you think Peter's thinking now in paradise? Yes, it was a grievous thought for him and a heavy burden back then, knowing that someday his life would be taken from him, cut short, and the dread of which without Jesus could, could drive a person mad. But submitting to Jesus the way Peter did made all the difference. And that difference came especially for Peter after Pentecost, when he is when he was given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God both within and upon him, when he was given the person and the power of God for his life, his whole life. Verse 22, Jesus said in response to Peter's question about John, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's how it is for all of us. Like Peter, we can all follow Jesus at his bidding up to a point on our own. But then Jesus asks us to go further along, further along. Always further than we can Go on our own. And why is it? It's so that we have to depend on him. That's what he wants of us. Because that's the only way that his supernatural power could possibly flow through us. Only we, when we depend on him and his spirit. So this story fits our context well because it is the story of many of Jesus' disciples, even today. Many of us who, who started off following Jesus with, with, with vigor and with too much self-confidence and failed. This is my story and it's the story of my first Anglican pastor, who I know well and, and respect, but who never, ever shared the depth of his failure with me. He just referred to it vaguely sometimes. And I was okay with that. That was between him and God. I didn't have to know, and neither do I have to share the depths of my failure with you. That, too, is between me and Jesus. But for years, I judged myself unfaithful, unworthy of Jesus, so as to disqualify myself from ministry because I, like Peter, had failed him miserably. But what does, what does Scripture say? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2, 13. And yes, that same scripture says if we deny him, he will also deny us. So for sure, it is not to be taken lightly. And denying Jesus for sure needs repenting of, which Peter, I'm sure, did. 
Matthew 10.32 says he went out after he, after he had, had said that he didn't know Jesus. He went out bit and wept bitterly. Sorry, that was Luke 22.62 that says that. Jesus himself also told his disciples in Matthew 10, 32 to 33, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So it's a serious thing. But confessing Jesus or denying him is usually a life and a lifestyle more than a one-time act that can be repented of. Um, that's how it was with Peter. But, but what about you? Is, is your life one that confesses or one that denies Jesus? That's the question. And, and what will it render on Judgment Day? Today, I'd like to encourage you. Don't fall for the lie that you are uniquely unworthy of being called by or used of Jesus. Like Peter and, and myself and, and so many others have, have fallen for that. Jesus had told Peter in Luke 2231, Simon, Simon, he'd warned him ahead, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he might sift you as wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And I'll bet that is what Peter recalled that day on the boat as he dove off to return fully to Jesus. And Jesus restored him, inviting him into fellowship and saying, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me. Well, what has he said to you today? in your history and in your context with him. What had he called you to do? Have you failed him? So did Peter. So did I. You're in good company. So does everyone. Simply repent. Repent and confess it to Jesus, your failure. First John 1 verse 8 and 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Yes, we've all sinned. 
And I guess I shouldn't say you're in good company, but you're in company, the company with everyone else. The question is now, do you long for that deeper relationship with Jesus again? Do you long to return to Jesus as Peter did? That's what he asks. And if you do, don't be surprised by Jesus because he's watching you. He's even orchestrating your circumstances sometimes to cause you to recognize his calling, to cause you to return fully to him again because his call to you as a disciple remains. He still says, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that even though we are so flawed, and even though our hearts wander away from you as Lord, Lord, we, we thank you that you are that great shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one sheep who has wandered off, Lord. And today we come confessing to you that we are that sheep. We are the one whose heart has wandered. And Lord, we, we thank you that you are coming after us. Lord, help us to turn. Help us to repent, confess, and return to you. Because we know, Lord, if we are your disciples, if, we, if you've called us, then we have a job to do. And we thank you for that. Help us, by your Holy Spirit, to do it faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.